Welcome to Orion Valley. Hello, film lovers. I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Welcome to my podcast where I dissect movies with fellow film enthusiasts and discuss why we love the medium as much as we do. Today, Chelsea Bowles, one of our lead actresses and co-producer of Don't Be a Stranger, stops by to talk about one of my all-time favorites, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. All right, the Don't Be a Stranger series is just chugging along. We have one of our lead actresses and co-producers here today, Chelsea Bowles. How are you today? Good. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. So originally when you uh, approached me to do this, we were talking about doing um, Shawshank, but then uh, you said that you had watched Eternal Sunshine and thought that would be the perfect one to talk about, which I think is a great choice because it's been one of my favorites ever since I first saw it back in uh, 2016. I'll get into my story in a little bit, but I want to know um, what you what your first viewing was, uh, what was like for this movie, what your first viewing experience was like and um, how you became attached to it so quickly. So my first viewing, I went into it not knowing anything about this movie. I actually Good. watched it because, um, as you know, and as the uh, our listeners here will learn to know, Julia, uh, Julia Marie Black, she told me that that would be a good role for me to look into in terms of like monologues, side scenes, whatever. She was like, oh, you could be Kate Winslet's character from Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And I was like, okay, cool. So I'm like online looking for a PDF of it so I can read it. And she goes, um, it's really a movie that you should watch first. And I was like, okay, whatever. So I didn't read anything. I didn't know what it was about. And one day I just decided to watch it. And it really moved me just how beautiful this story is because – well, one, they're both great. Jim Carrey is great. And I've only ever seen him in comedic things besides like the Truman Show, which is kind of comedic, but, you know, is a mm-hmm. little bit more serious. Yeah. But I just love this idea of what if we lived in a world where you could erase bad emotions? Because that's basically what it is. Yeah, they're erasing memories, but they're doing that for the purpose of not having to feel emotional pain. And I love watching the consequences unfold and watching Joel, Jim Carrey's character, desperately grabbing on to whatever he has left of Clementine. I just think it's gorgeous and I I can't even like I'm speechless right now. <laughs> I'm like like it makes you wonder how many other people in that universe experience that where they're like, wait, no, I changed my mind, but they can't do anything about it. And we, I know we'll get more into this later, but um, in terms of, you know, the main character we talked about this in play analysis, being so close to reaching what they want and watching whether or not they get it and what that tells us, the audience. So mm-hmm. it's just, it's so particular and beautifully thought out and everything is so deliberate in that movie and watching it the second time I noticed more things that make it so deliberate and just maybe be like wow this movie is so well thought out yeah it's definitely a movie that warrants multiple viewings um so you go into it kind of um 
you're in is the Kay Winslet character, like looking to see if that would be a good part for you. And I was actually thinking as I was watching it last night, I was like, yeah, this would be a good part for Chelsea. This was, <laughs> Thank you. This had a big Chelsea energy. Um, <clears throat> but when you go into a first viewing, are you looking specifically at acting or are you kind of, uh, do you grab onto the first thing that um, catches your attention and then you follow that throughout the movie? Or are you trying to get every single possible angle or what do you f- focus on for the first viewing? Not necessarily specifically to this movie, but to all movies. Like, what does the first viewing look like for you? What do you go for? That's interesting. I feel like a lot of times I'm just trying to pay attention to the story um, because that's ultimately why we watch movies. It's for the story and um, how it makes us feel. But also, too, like, this is going towards a different movie. But, like, for example, with The Godfather, when you and I were talking about it, like, at first, I was just, like, I'm trying to keep track of all the different characters, right, so Mm -hmm. that I remember them later. Yeah. Um, But for Eternal Sunshine specifically, I actually remember why I finally watched it, because I was looking for scenes for an acting masterclass that I was taking. So I think I went in thinking, okay, pay attention to the scenes and, like, if there's anything that you can use from this. But I just got completely sucked up into the story, Mm-hmm. And I think by the end of it, I was like, hmm, now that I think about it, I'm not quite sure if there are any scenes I can use for that, use from that, because a lot of them are really short and put together and sporadic. But I didn't think about that while I was watching it. That was my original intention. But then, like I said, I got sucked up into the story and that went out the back of my mind until the credits started rolling. And I was like, <laughs> oh, wait, yeah, I was supposed to be looking at scenes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is a movie to get easily swept up in. Um, I had heard about this movie for years before I had seen it um, because I I remember seeing the DVD in my house because I was a big Jim Carrey fan growing up. He was like my hero. And um, when I saw that, um, I was like, oh, this looks interesting. Um, And I probably saw the DVD in my house when I was like, I don't know, like nine or something. But I didn't watch the movie because it was it was R and I followed (laughs) the rules. Um, But uh, I it kind of just fell out of my head. I kind of forgot about it. And um, until my freshman year of college, the last um, one of the classes I took was a um, a contemporary film analysis class. And uh, this was the last movie that we watched for a grade. And it was kind of cool because you're like watching all of these movies that are getting more and more complicated. And then you end with this one. And I remember watching it. And at the end, when it like, you know, just kind of bleeds into white and then the credits come up, I was like, wow, I felt like my brain just like ran a mile. Like it was Mm -hmm. so um, I was like, I don't know what this is, but I know it's one of my new favorites. And it still is. And I remember uh, I had to write a paper about it. And so then I, I, I knew I needed to watch it again. And luckily it was on Netflix. So two days later, I watched it again, like all the way through and loved it, you know, even more. I think it's like the second viewing for me that really cracked it. Like after mm-hmm. the second viewing, I was like, okay, I think I know what this movie's about. But it's still fun to go back and find new things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and because it's also so entertaining, like the way that the story moves, it's really tight. It's only like an hour, 47 minutes. It's it's in and out kind of movie. It's not a, um, it doesn't meander all that much. Right. It knows what it wants to do. Um <clears throat> And yeah, I mean, the, the cast is um, completely stacked um, oh, for sure. so we'll, good. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get into each performance in a little bit. Uh, I just want to do some quick specs on the movie. 
So, uh, obviously, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, directed by Michelle Gondry and screenplay um, by Charlie Kaufman, one of the greatest living screenwriters, um, with a story by Gondry and uh, Pierre Bismuth. It has music by John Bryan. It has cinematography by Ellen Krauss. It stars Jim Carrey, Kate Winslet, Kirsten Dunst, Mark Ruffalo, Elijah Wood, and Tom Wilkinson. It is distributed by Focus Features, um, and it had a budget of $20 million, and it made $74 million. Kind of gained a cult reputation um, through film schools and, uh, you know, the the streaming uh, the streaming circuit. I will say up top that, uh, you know, we're probably going to drift into film school crazy territory here, but you know what? That's just what you got to do when you have a film podcast, so sorry. I'm um, ready. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, it was nominated for two Oscars, a uh, nomination for Kate Winslet for Best Actress, and it won the Best Original Screenplay Oscar um, for Kaufman, uh, Bismuth, and Gondry. I just want to tell a quick little personal story about this movie. <clears throat> when I was in Los Angeles uh, during the spring of 2020 semester before uh, the world you know, completely crumbled, I was uh, interning at Partisan Entertainment, which is the Michelle Gondry's own production company, the director of this film. And um, he, and it was just such a wonderful experience. And it was very interesting because even The Office was kind of in his style. There was like props from his music videos and like they had like giant Legos in one part. They had like this really crazy guitar like stretching out throughout like most of The Office, like on the west side. Um, it was really cool. And, uh, you know, and also because of that, it just kind of made me feel a little bit more attached to this movie in some way. Uh, it's probably pretty cheesy, but you know what? It's my heart. I'll do what I want with it. Damn it. Um, <laughs> no, I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and <clears throat> you know, Michelle Gondry is, uh, was one of the, is one of the more prominent commercial music video directors did a lot of music videos for Daft Punk. He did, um, uh, the Everlong music video for the Foo Fighters. And he also had his, um, other feature film, other feature films include The Green Hornet and Science of Sleep. He's a very interesting director. He's very idiosyncratic and very um, trippy, but he loves like capturing essence of childhood. I want, but I, I want to circle back to Jim Carrey really quick. Do you have a personal relationship um, with him and his movies? Is he like a guy for you? Like, where does he stand in terms of actors? So, this is a roundabout way of answering your question, but I feel like growing up. I didn't actually watch a ton of movies. I mean, I did. I watched a lot of animated movies and mm-hmm. I was a huge Harry Potter fan. I watched all those movies and I feel like I would see the occasional movie that had Jim Carrey on uh, in it on uh, what was formerly known as ABC Family. <laughs> it's now Freeform. <laughs> um, I remember watching like Bruce Almighty um, mm-hmm. and when, let's see, I know that Ace Ventura Pet Detective is like a huge fan favorite. I've never seen that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never seen what's the, is it the mask? The one he's wearing yeah. the mask. Mm-hmm. I've never seen that. Um, but I'm trying to think what I have seen. Oh, I've seen the Grinch. I like him in that. Mm-hmm. And I think those are the only two things I saw as a kid were Bruce Almighty and the Grinch that he was in. I might <laughs> be missing something. But when I was in high school in my theory of knowledge class, we watched the Truman Show, and I remember. Th- thinking that was like the most brilliant movie ever. Um, and I'm not saying it's show. not, I just haven't seen it since then. Mm-hmm. So everything that I had known him in was pretty goofy, funny. And I knew that he was this very impressive comedic actor, but I'd never seen him in anything besides those three, especially not a serious role. And 
I think he's just so brilliant. And it's funny too, whenever people talk about like, oh, they're a comedic actor. I didn't think they would be good in serious roles. And I'm like, why? They're an actor. Like, I'm sure they've mm-hmm. trained in both. But it definitely, I'm not saying I get that mentality because like we as people in the entertainment industry, we understand people are multifaceted. But at the same time, I just thought it was so beautifully done. I was so driven by his performance. It was less of a, oh, I can't believe he can do dramatic things. It was more of a like, wow, I just didn't realize how good he really was, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it is it is an interesting movie star move for him to mm-hmm. be in this movie. I think that, and this is not a phenomenon that's new or that he started. I think it's just an interesting one to point to that, <clears throat> you know, known for comedic um, roles, but then started to move, had his like three movie run of being serious, like um, starts the Truman Show and then does um, Man on the Moon and than this a few years later. And this is interesting because this is a little bit, this is a more independent film. It is a personal story. He's like sad most of the time. He doesn't really get to do any much of his like crazy gonzo acting. <laughs> um, other The only time he really gets to kind of, you know, sprinkle it in is when he's, uh, when he's playing like a kid mm-hmm. and he's in the kitchen with Kate Winslet in, in the memory. I love that scene. Uh, or like when he like goes to fight his you know childhood bully, but then gets beaten up by him, mm-hmm. you know, like <laughs> stuff, stuff like that. Um, but he doesn't, you know, he's not like running around. He's not flailing his arms. He's sad for most of this movie. And it's like a little, it's, uh, it's very different for him, but he also like, he's got the long hair. He's got the scruff. He kind of looks younger, even though he's mm-hmm. obviously older. Like he has this childlike quality to him. Um, and I think all the characters do. So we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but I think this is his best performance in my opinion. I mean, I love all the comedic stuff. Like I grew up on it, like liar, liar is probably his best comedy. Um, you know, Ace Ventura, even though both those movies have not aged well, really at all, were very important to me growing up the mask, uh, dumb and dumber. Uh, you know, he, you know, was a signature star for like a really, like for the, a whole decade. Like he was like the guy, Mm -hmm. um, and there wasn't really a whole lot of other people, you know, like him in that once, his end, like his reign was done after, you know, the early 2000s, you know, it was kind of the takeover of the SNL folks like, you know, Will Ferrell started coming in mm-hmm. uh, and then he kind of passed the belt along to him. But he is like a very and even though now, you know, Jim Carrey doesn't do a whole lot. I mean, the last big thing he was in was the Sonic movie. Um, but it's always fun to go back and see him. I, I kind of miss him like this stage of Jim Carrey's career because it brings back yeah. good memories from when I was a kid. And, you know, he's like, you know, is multifaceted and has so much to do. And he's giving a lot in this movie. Oh, um, so true. He's just at the he's I mean, he's at the forefront. He's the unreliable narrator that we follow. Yeah. And I think, too, looping back to what you were saying about him being sad in this movie, correct, first of all, but I, it's so human because I feel like it's really easy to get sucked down by that energy, but you can still see, like, the heart of him throughout mm-hmm. it. You can still see that he's goofy and lovable and energetic throughout all of that, and I think that's what makes it so beautiful It's because, like, in his brain, he's sad, But in his heart, he's still alive, you know, and he's still Mm -hmm. moving forward to reach his goals. And I think that's what makes it so good. It's not just the top layer. It's everything underneath. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah, he is given like I I, he told a story once about how when he met Michelle Gondry for the movie 
and like met Charlie Kaufman. Michelle was like, I, I, we're not shooting for another year. I need you to stay sad, you know, <laughs> stay sad for a whole year <laughs> to get this movie right. Um, and I don't know who else this movie would work with. I mean, I think it's, Mm-mm. it needs to be someone that you can instantly like. Um, because I mean, he is a little bit of a schlubby kind of, you know, sad boy, but it's still easy. It's still, you know, easy to like him, but you need the chemistry to be, you know, on point. And that's where I think they found the beauty in Kate Winslet, um, whose performance is just lovely. She's always been one of my personal favorites. Um, every performance she gives, I'm always just fascinated in what she's doing. Um, and just seems like a very professional kind of person and is very classically trained. And, but then she comes here and is this is the manic pixie dream girl, you know, Mm -hmm. trope. Um, and you know, is, is the one who lights up the, you know, the whole screen. Yeah. She's, Um, this is the first thing I've ever seen her in. I know. I know. I've never seen Titanic. I know. Mm. I know. But yeah. So this definitely sold sold her for me like i'm like yes she's she's great she's perfect i love her Mm -hmm. uh but yeah she's she's lovely and i mean there's been a lot of um revisionist um thinking behind the manic pixie dream girl trope you know we've seen it a lot you know recently like this is a famous example or the um scott pilgrim versus the Mm -hmm. world like ramona flowers like just this character who is meant to be in the relationship kind of to bring the you know, the male character out of their funk and, you know, show them that life is good and be the light of um, the light of the world, which, yes, it is, you know, problematic in some ways you could say you could say. Um, I think that in this movie, it's just ever so slightly different because I think they go through this together in a way Agreed. like they both kind of go through this character change, especially how the way the movie concludes Um but it is like it is a trope of the 2000s um, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, I, I, you know, we're hopefully can move away from it a little bit. But it's, um, you know, she still is giving, you know, she's still prevalent in the story. Like she is active and doing and is helping him. And, you know, like I said, the way that she, you know, discovers at the end that she, too, had her memory erased is, you know, they kind of figure it out together and they work mm-hmm. through it and they come to the decision Um together which is which is fun which is a cool like little change of that character um do do you think that that is a character that we'll probably move away from or try and move away from in the future i think yes and no i think i think as the industry changes there are still some people who are going to always be stuck in their ways or i guess a nicer way to put it is always have their specific ideas of how stories should go so i mm-hmm. think i think that trope will still stay around but i hope that if it does that people go about it in a better way and i think the movies that do move away from it are going to gain more attention than the typical manic pixie dream girl 2000s trope so i don't think we can ever fully eradicate it because i've even i can't think of any examples but i've seen stuff that's come out recently where i'm like that's a little problematic like it's Mm -hmm. 2021 Mm -hmm. but (laughs) i think the majority of people who create in this industry are working together to make it more inclusive for everyone Mm -hmm. yeah and she's still a great character and she's still like a great performance and is still Mm -hmm. fun to watch just important to bring up uh one more thing before we get into the critical breakdown when we did our best of the decade um podcast on the 2000s i had this listed at number seven i believe number seven or six somewhere around there um and 
one thing I love about this movie is just that it's it's sci-fi and it's romance blended together. You don't usually think of those two as working well together. I've always been a big sci-fi uh, fan, and you know you can tell the low-budget nature of this movie and its style and like the production design and just everything around it like feels low-budget, but not to a fault. But it works for sci-fi. Like it can it can have this little janky feel to it, and I think it melds together well with the romance. It almost accentuates it. Do you like? Are you a big sci-fi fan or do you mainly do you more so drift towards the romance in this movie? That's so interesting because until you said it, I didn't even think of this movie as sci-fi because it's not your typical sci-fi. Because it's not clothed as sci-fi, you know? Mm-hmm. It's clothed as a romance movie. But I do like sci-fi um a lot. And I kind of I know this like isn't correct, but I kind in my brain I kind of group sci-fi and fantasy together. Um mm-hmm. But, like, I'm a fan of the Star Wars franchise, but there's not many genres of movie that I don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, for the longest time, I didn't really like scary movies or horror movies, but I'm even getting more okay with that now. Like, I really like, this isn't a movie, but I really like American Horror Story. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, there's really not much that I, I don't like. Yeah, the romance is definitely at the forefront mm-hmm. um, of this movie and is the the main selling point. I mean, this is definitely not a date movie because it is like in a way like very depressing, but it almost uplifting in a way. It's a yes. but it is one to kind of have you. I was definitely I have definitely cried at this movie before. Like I've definitely like oh my first viewing like at the end I'm just like crying and I watched <laughs> it with Seth who was on your last episode as you know mm-hmm. and he like he was like thoughts and I was like you have to give me a second. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, I'm working through it. <laughs> I was like, give me like five minutes and then I'll tell you my thoughts. <laughs> yeah, because it is this kind of just this depiction of like um just depressing middle aged life in uh well he lives on uh Long Island, I I think, but uh you know dealing with a breakup and the way that it concludes is like hopeful, but it's also sad. And it's like, like I said, the way this movie works is like, it's because it's so tight and it moves. You kind of have to, you're constantly trying to catch up Mm -hmm. um, with the emotions of the movie because they move through them so seamlessly, but also quickly. So you'll have scenes like, you know, funny scenes, like when they're in the woods and he's like, Oh yeah, why don't I just like wake up? And he like spreads his eyes. (laughs) And then cut to like, you know, Clem and Joel like laying under the bed and she's saying like how, she always thought she was ugly and so it like it moves like through all those different emotions but it does it in a way that's not um it's not jarring it's not jarring it's not imbalanced yeah mm-hmm. exactly um which is really hard to do I, I think it's just because it's so confident in what it's doing um and you know this whole movie is based on the concept of what if you got like a letter in the mail saying someone had erased you from their mm-hmm. memory which is just such a great elevator pitch like mm-hmm. it's such a good concept like right off the bat you're like all right let's see where this goes yeah and i think the reason it moves so seamlessly is because of what i was saying earlier like no scene is just like strictly happy or strictly sad which like no acting should be anyways because we have so many feelings and layers and emotions but even throughout like the sad scenes or the romantic there's still that just like underlying playfulness of this like inner child wanting to come out, which I think Mm -hmm. is kind of what happens when you're in a relationship. It's the one person you're allowed to be goofy with or stupid with, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. and that energy carries them through the good memories and the bad memories. And it's what connects them. 
save the inner child idea for a little bit because we're going to bring that up. But for right now, let's get into the critical breakdown. We mentioned Carrie and Winslet. But the whole cast, like all around, is really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, Winslet and Carrie just work so well together. But you also have, you got Elijah Wood, Mark Ruffalo, Kirsten Dunst, Tom Wilkinson, all giving phenomenal performances, all somewhat out of their range mm-hmm. or not like out of their um, uh, out of their comfort zone, I guess is the uh, is the phrase I'm looking for, because. Elijah Wood is this well both Elijah Wood and Mark Ruffalo are these kind of like almost douchey teen characters yeah like they're so like uh, and then Winslet you know we have this whole history of her like starting in Jumanji young and then going all the way up she was just in this year she has Spider-Man 2 and this come out in the same year so I forgot about Jumanji sorry continue (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like oh my god (laughs) I've seen that one yeah, um, it's a great movie. Um, but, you know, it, having her grow up to, and then this is a little bit more of a mature role for her, so she's kind of swapping, whereas, you know, Ruffalo and, um, well, Elijah Wood had obviously been known for his, um, for the Lord of the Rings movies and mm-hmm. the faculty and stuff with Robert Rodriguez. But Ruffalo, this is this is a very weird, like he looks like Billy Joe Armstrong, the lead he singer does. of Green Day. Like he looks so, so like, like such a burnout and just, and, and they are, I mean, they're like really douchey, like gross people. Like, you know, just when that scene, when Elijah Wood's telling him how he, um, you know, got with Clementine first, he's like, you stole a girl's underwear. And then they both just start laughing. It's yeah. like, oh my God, okay, I get it. They're, they're douchey. I'm definitely not supposed to be completely on these guys' side. You're supposed to be on Joel's side, right. which is a very, you know, genius way of uh, again siding with Joel during all of this. I mean, who is an unreliable narrator? But um, yeah, the cast overall, fantastic. See, they're both douchey, but I I like Mark Ruffalo better. Um, oh Stan, yeah, yeah, because yeah. like, what's his name? Pa- Patrick Elijah Wood's character. Elijah Wood, yeah, Patrick. Mm-hmm. Like he, what he did, and I won't stay on this point for too long. But what he did was just completely awful. Yeah. Like, there's no question. Okay, like, like Stan acknowledges that what Patrick did was awful, but then laughs about it. And I was like, okay, that doesn't make you much better. But he's also not the one who did it. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Patrick, I have. I'm just like, get the fuck out of here. Nobody wants you here, bro. You're definitely not supposed to like him. And you're also supposed to totally understand from the get go. He's not good with Clem. Like he's actually like a really bad boyfriend. Oh, absolutely. Because he has to steal everything that Joel did. (laughs) Well, yeah. Even setting aside that, like his whole thing is like, you're beautiful. You're great. Everything's going to be fine. Like, you know, stay positive. It's like, no, asshole. That's not how you deal with this situation. (laughs) Like, he's just constantly like when they're driving back from the Charles River. Uh Um, you know, she's like obviously like going through a lot with the racing and he's yeah, he's just like, no, it's OK. You'll get back on your feet. Like, don't worry. Like, why would anyone say that about you? Like, nothing's wrong with you. You're perfect. And you're just like, I just want to punch you. Like, right yeah, in the face. <laughs> with this stupid fucking soul patch. And I know. <laughs> but then on the flip side, like having the awareness that it is Elijah Wood, you're like, oh, but I love him. But like yeah. you hate his character, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And intentionally. So he, yes. he works really well. And I want to talk. I also wanted to kind of circle back to the opening 20 minutes. I'll talk more about Kristen Dunst in a little bit, but mm-hmm. I think this movie is so smart for opening with this this cold open 
mm-hmm. of just the two of them meeting. Joel gets this feeling like he has to go off, you know, to, to Montauk, to Montauk know. and, you know, have this impulse. And, you know, he says sand is overrated, you know, a year after Anakin said it, <laughs> attack the clones. Um, and, uh, you know, you see their relationship blossoming and you get like a really good sense of who they are, like when they're on the train together. And again, this is you know, it's a circular narrative. So this is technically after they've had each other erased, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, just the way that they act and like how she's like, you know, no jokes about my name. And like, they're talking about like hair colors, uh-huh. and, you know, they, y- you also get a sense, like you're kind of conflicted about it. Cause on one hand you're like, Oh, they're cute together. But then there are moments where you're like, I, I don't know. They, they, they like, they go back and forth. Like she's like, Oh, nice. Is that all you can say? Like, you know, she has the kind of moments where she has like her little outbursts or like, she like, lashes out at him and you know like punches him in the arm like but then you kind of realize why as the movie goes on and then like when you revisit it it's like it's amazing to look at that scene because it's like wow they had each other erased from their memory but they're not erased from each other's soul like i don't know if that's goofy to say but it's like the remnants of each other are there and it's beautiful like that's Mm -hmm. why they just immediately start talking and clicking and yeah maybe she has outbursts but i think it's because she feels comfortable with him you know yeah yeah no absolutely and again it makes more sense once uh once you find out like how it ends Mm -hmm. um but you know and then the thing that takes you out of this cold open is Elijah Wood coming by and knocking on the window and being like can I help you and you're like what what's going on yep and then then fade to black and the credits come on with the awesome Beck song that mm-hmm. plays throughout most of this movie. Um, and you're like, oh shit, what happened? Uh, yep. And it, it does such a good job. It fools you and makes you think it's all linear. Like it's all a linear movie, but it's not. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about the circular stuff later. I love a good circular narrative. Um, but you, you get a good sense off the bat, like who Joel is and like what he's going through and they do good with like um, exposition by giving you like him talking to David Cross and uh, his wife, who's played by someone. I cannot remember her name, um, but they're cut because they were told about the relationship. They're like, Oh, you know, it's maybe this is a sign. It's fine. You know, don't you know if she doesn't remember you, maybe she just wants to move on, you know, kind of mm-hmm. thing, like, whatever. Um, David Cross has a great line in that scene also where he's just like, hey, does anyone have a joint? Like, Just not <laughs> totally in check with what's going on in the conversation. Um, but that was one thing I also wanted to bring up is that, that in this movie, what's really great is that every other relationship around Joel and Clementine is very unhinged. It's very like not like doesn't have a safe foundation like David Cross and I got to look up her name. I can't, I do not know who plays um, his wife, but they are like, like not happy and like arguing like, he's like, what's your fucking solution? Carrie, like, come on. Like, Like and like later when he's like making the, (laughs) making the birdhouse, like I'm making a birdhouse. (laughs) (laughs) I love Um, all those scenes because mm -hmm. upon a first viewing after the cold opening, and then you start getting into all that, I thought he was crazy. I thought he had some some sort of mental problem. Um, I guess crazy isn't a good word to use anymore, but I thought that he was a little confused up there. And especially mm-hmm. with these like these uh, like you said unhinged relationships around him and how while you're watching this and I'm sure we'll get more into this <clears throat> later, but at, at, while you're watching this, you're seeing like away the remnants of the memories being erased in real time because mm-hmm. of the way that they 
they all blend into each other. It's confusing. And then once yeah. you realize that he's getting the procedure, you're like, oh, that's what's going on. Okay, so he's not delusional. <laughs> he's just yeah. losing his memory. <laughs> It is a very confusing movie. Um, and like I said, it takes multiple viewings to really like figure out what the structure is and what exactly is going on. The movie does a good job of like actually like giving you clues and telling mm, you what is it going really on. Does. But, it's, but it's not too heavy handed, you know, like when like, you I watch it the second time, you pick it yeah, up. Yeah, uh-huh, exactly. But, you know, it, it again, it, it makes you root for Joel and Clem in a way because because uh, her, the actress name is um, Jane Adams, who plays Carrie. Okay. Um, but, you know, Rob and Carrie, they are, you know, they're pretty troubled. And then there's, um, you know, Patrick and Clementine. And then there's Mary and the doctor. And mm-hmm. so all of those relationships are just like kind of falling apart around this other one that you're rooting for. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, because of that, you're able to side with them more, which is really fun and very smart. Um, and... And again, I, I, I can't stress this idea is just so good of just a, a, a clinic that you can go to that is also well known. Like, it's not like, hey, I got this backwoods project that yeah. I'm working on. You know, come by the old warehouse at midnight on Wednesday and we'll get it done for you. It's like they have coupons like like fucking uh, Kirsten Nunz is answering the phone and she's like, oh, that like offer expired yeah. in the new year. Like, um, and we're recording this on July 4th, but this is like, you know, the Valentine's Day movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but such a great idea, like having someone just completely erased from your memory. And when you actually find out that she had him erased, you're like, what? Oh, what's OK? Where, where are we going? What's going on? Yep. And you had the perfect advantage of going and not knowing anything like that is the Correct. best way to, <laughs> to watch this movie. I like to watch most movies that way now. Like, yes, agreed. I not, don't even watch trailers. Like if I just mm-hmm. see something, I'm like, play. Let's just yep. figure it out as we go along. Yep, I totally agree. That that's the fun way to do it, and this, this is one where you really have to like you know piece it together. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, I need some water. Also, while you're while you're getting your water, the fact one that this is so well known, such a well known practice, but two, you have so much time to change your mind because you go into it, you have appointments, you gather up all the stuff, you go in for a screening, and then you finally decide to get it done. It's like you have so much time to change your mind before you actually get that procedure done. How much hurt and resentment must you have for you to think, yes, this is the best decision? It's that's just. The human condition blows my mind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It is. Um, it, shit. Nah, I, <laughs> I'm sorry. I probably threw you off, but it came no, to no, my it's mind. hard to formulate words. No, it is. It is a very human movie. And I, and I, so I struggle saying that just because I don't want to sound pretentious. But again, we're going into film analysis territory. Yeah. So like, who cares? We're you don't sound fun. pretentious it's, to me. I'm yeah, sorry no. if I sound pretentious to no, you. No, you don't. OK, no, of course not. OK, so we're good. Um, yeah, we're, we're good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and I, like I said, it moves. Like he decides to have the procedure like within a scene, just like mm-hmm. boom, go. And you know, you can see him being like really heartbroken about it. And I love that he's an unreliable narrator because you see him go through the process. But then he's like, "I want to call it off. I got to stop. Like, how do we, like, how do we do this?" And going through each memory, I also didn't realize at first that um, the whole purpose of it is that they start from the most recent memories and, and work go back. all the way backwards. Mm-hmm. So that's why they end at the house and they start at the the mm-hmm. big fight that they had. Um, <clears throat> but you see each level, like you feel like you know these people um, just to a certain extent. Um, but 
and then you relate you have to kind of relate it back to what you saw in the beginning it's like oh my god there's so much that happened like how is how did they get from here to here like that fight that they have like the first thing that you mm-hmm. see like these trying to erase is it's pretty brutal like he says some like pretty shitty things <laughs> oh absolutely and what i find interesting is in that fight and in that memory you can tell that it's it isn't remembered exactly how it happened because in all of the memories you see elements of the memory itself breaking each other down. Like we yeah. saw like a car fall from the sky or in the very last scene, we see the house fall apart. And then on another note, um, you said that he figures out that he wants to do this in a, in just one scene, which is mm-hmm. funny. Cause I wrote down that he says in the beginning, I'm not an impulsive person. He says yeah. that like when he decides to go to Montauk, I'm not, I'm not an impulsive person. We're like, Oh, well that's kind of the clue that things are about to change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, he is this unreliable narrator. You can't trust him. Right. You, and you know, and it, it's funny because you can see, you know, after a scene like the fight that they have in other movies handled in a different way, you would have been like, I'm out. I I know I'm not with this relationship anymore. Fuck this guy. But I think because it's Carrie and because there's so much more to come and you believe him, you believe their love in the first scene. um, You're still with it. You're like, Oh no, like he wants to, he's trying to chase her now. Like, let's go, come on, get her back. Like, and then change to another memory with her, with her happier. Um, yeah, that scene with the car falling, uh, and, uh, you know, just trying, it's like, fine, run off a perfect ending to this piece of shit story. Like just yelling like down the street. Um, and it, and you are right. You see the memories breaking down. You see the memories change also. Like he goes from like one side to the other. Um, you know, the kitchen almost turns into the bathroom and like, you know, the whole scenery starts to change visual effects in this movie. I will say also looking pretty good for a 2004 DVD. Like I'm, I'm not going to lie. It holds up pretty well. Or like they're in their bedroom sometimes and there's sand on the ground Mm -hmm. or, you know, the one specifically where specifically, excuse me, where they try to change to a different memory to hide Clementine. It starts raining in there. So it's interesting to see how he has these core memories of her, but how he can shift them and make them what he needs them to be for his own use. And then Clementine hops on board and I'm, I could get into that whole thing too about her awareness throughout all of this in his head, but mm-hmm. I'm sure that's more of a later a later no, discussion. You, we, 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 no, we can talk about it now. I think it's cool because again, okay. it adds to the like, it adds to the manic pixie dream girl thing, but it also is kind of making it like when she's when they're talking about memories and they're and she's like. Oh, like you erased me first. She's like, I know. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Like, mm-hmm. like you gotta feel like okay, they're they're still friends. Like that, you have to have something to keep it where they're not yes. just angry at each other the whole time. Well, what I find interesting, so she they they say something. I think Joel says it where it's like you're not just erasing her from my memory. You're erasing me from her or something mm-hmm. like that. Like they talk about how they're conjoined. They're a part of each other. And what is interesting is this whole week that's gone by where uh, Clementine had her memory erased and then this week goes by, I think it's like a week, and she's dating Patrick now and whatever. She's relatively fine, but when Joel starts getting the procedure done, it's that night that she starts freaking out and she's like, I don't feel good. Something's wrong with me. So it makes you wonder like how much of an awareness – like. 
obviously that wasn't really her speaking to him. It was all in his mind um, when he's experiencing these memories. But at the same time, you have to wonder how much of a, a role she did have in it because she clearly can feel that something wrong is happening in mm-hmm. real time in her experience while Joel is having his memories erased. And then at the very end, she says, meet me in Montauk. And then they both meet in Montauk. So it's like, it, it makes you wonder like what, there's no explanation. Like we could theorize about it for hours, mm-hmm. but there's no explanation given in the story as to how all those turn of events happen besides maybe fate. <laughs> I think it's just the connection between them. Correct. That is the thing that is obviously everlasting and is the, the purpose and takeaway of the movie. Um, so while they are, you know, while he's wrestling with his memories, some great humor throughout it. Like mm-hmm. when he, like his first going into the doctor's office when, um, you know, he was looking at the items and then he comes back in. He's like, I've been this. here before. I'm, I'm in my <laughs> mind. And Mr. Wilk- and Tom Wilkinson's like, Oh yeah, this is, uh, this is about right. This is about where you would be. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so just nonchalant about it. And he can interact with it. Cause again, it's just like, he can only interact with who he knows. And the fact that it's, it is all in his head. He's only interacting with the Clementine that he, you know that he was with for all those all those mm-hmm. years and the memories of her and you know he sees um tom wilkinson again and then his face is all messed up yeah, and he's like this terrifying. is wrong he, pa- patrick's he stole her underwear <laughs> 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 um and then outside of um you know his memory we have mark ruffalo and elijah wood you know doing the procedure kirsten dunce comes by i love the scenes with these three because i think it's really a really good character choice to make kirsten dunce just not like patrick like she yep. just doesn't like him and there's no real explanation for it it doesn't need to be there's something really <laughs> in the story he just, she just thinks he's a shithead like but it makes the scene so dynamic all of like that just they bounce the energy around so well yeah I think her doing the Nietzsche quote when she's like, you know, blessed and forgetful is very you energy. Also, I think you Kirsten Dunst in this movie is, is it would be a good part for you. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Although I must say, I don't think I would ever believe that it's good to have memories erased. But well, like her I'm, energy. Correct. I, I'm totally like that. Well, yeah, like, that's one of the big. Quote. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. The energy. Yeah. And I mean, no, that's the. I mean, by the end, she doesn't think it's good. Right. She <laughs> I think realizes. that's the big takeaway from this movie is you're like, fuck, this is not a good idea. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. She it's so interesting how she thinks this is such a great procedure. But then when it, she realizes it, it was done to her, all of a sudden it's a wait, this is awful. Mm-hmm. This is yeah. awful. And that's the way that our world works. Sometimes it takes something happening to someone personally for them to realize that it's not OK. Mm-hmm. Like not a lot of people have empathy for each other. So sometimes you have to experience something to get it. And that's exactly what she showed. And it mm-hmm. also shows that, hey, I mean, we all knew it, but this isn't a good procedure. You have yeah. to feel your feels. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, having this childhood or this like young girl crush on the doctor mm-hmm. Um I also want to say like her and Mark Ruffalo just like smoking a joint talking about the clash and she's just like, you know, oh, he's so cool. Like, um, what's his fucking what's Tom Wilkinson's character's name? It's it's like Dr. It's Dr. Something. Dr. <laughs> Dr. Howard um, Mers- 
Mirzwiak. Oh, she'd just call him Howard, though. Yeah, Howard. Right, yeah. When she's like, oh, Howard is so smart. He's going to, like, Howard would be in this quote book that I love. Like, you know, she's Mm -hmm. just, like, you know, just so into him. Uh, But, like, even the scenes, like, there's some great stoner acting in this movie, Oh, my God. I was going to say the line where she's like, well, you got to fix him. He's going to be, like, all half-baked and, like, wake up half-baked. Oh, that sounds really good. So good. Like, she's like, wow. And I'm like, as she She's saying that I'm picturing like a gooey cookie because I think like that's mm-hmm. what went through her mind. Mm-hmm. She's like, "Ooh, half baked." Yeah, that sounds really good. And they just laugh, and I'm like, "That's amazing, amazing." Mm-hmm. No, uh, those eye drops you gave me didn't do shit. Like, she's so when he comes over, yeah, and they're just like dancing in their underwear or whatever. And over Joel, yeah, over, yeah, it's so unethical and just like. <laughs> like again you get a good idea that like this is not a good procedure and also these are just not like nice the best people. people you want working on you um but they you come around to them um mm-hmm. in the end except patrick i think patrick overall you're supposed to be like ah, eh, fuck you um <laughs> but yeah. that's fine uh some other great i just love going through each of the memories that he goes through because they make them so interesting it doesn't feel repetitive you know he has one where they're like at the Chinese restaurant again. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and she's like, hey, could you maybe like clean your hair off the goddamn soap bar? Like, it's so gross. <laughs> and he's and just he's- like, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. I And I love too, like, some of the scenes he knows, like, like he remembers it so strongly that he's like saying the lines as they're happening. And mm-hmm. the one that happened in the hospital scene, um, in the like wait, checkup room, but like in that scene too, where he's like, Yeah, it's really disgusting. And she goes, It's disgusting. And it's like <laughs> the, those specific things that he remembers are mm-hmm. it's just you, what you said. It's funny. I love it. Yeah. And, you know, also, it pairs well with like Gondry has a very interesting directing style. He makes it all it's all handheld, but he it does feel like a very music video, like 2000s music video. It's like with these like almost like scenes lit with one light mm-hmm. kind of like right in the middle here um, and almost this dream nightmare quality. But it's also there's a lot of childhood innocence in there. Yeah. Um, like the way he frames certain things, like having the camera kind of on a lower angle tilted up to make all the characters look smaller in the room and the ceilings higher. Like it almost feels like you're a kid. Yeah. Um, and especially at the end when Winslet and Carrie are talking, but obviously funny stuff like when like, all right, let's go to a different memory. And then he's under the table mm-hmm. as a four year old. <laughs> and it's really fun to see him act as a four year old. Like when he's like ice cream, like he's like trying to get to the freezer. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, I can't believe how strong the desire is for my mother right now. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I really want my mom. I really yeah. want my mom. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, yeah, that that scene's great. She's just like, my crotch is still here. And he's like, yuck. (laughs) (laughs) But like those scenes too, while they're funny, they I really think it shows like to what extent he would go to Mm -hmm. to to save the memory of her because we even see where she's like, hide me in your humility, and you know he's like masturbating. So funny. But on a different note, when he goes off the map a few times and Howard has to come in and fix it, it's like and, you know, his eyes are open, yada, 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 yada. Um, you'd think they would be like, oh, maybe he doesn't want this anymore. But they're like, oh, well, we can fix that right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And you get a... Um, oh, shit. What was I going to say? Oh, well, they established the rules of the procedure and of the world pretty well in that, you know, 
you have to stay on course. Like most people always just like go through their memories as they have been, um, as they've been planned out to them. But in this one, there is a possibility you can hide in other memories and like mm-hmm. throw them off their path. They hadn't had to deal with that before, or maybe they have, but it's not common. You know, you don't have a lot of people who want to back out of this procedure, you know, and you know, Howard says, you know, I thought you knew what you signed up for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so having the scenes of him going back and forth between these memories is, is fun um, because it, again, it adds some you know good variety to it. And again, when, when they're kids and you hear like their voiceover and it's like, you know what, Freddie, you're not so tough. Ah! And he like, gets like pinned down on the ground uh-huh. by this kid is <laughs> fantastic. And Kate Winslet's just like, Joe, it's not worth it. Like, let's go. Come on. <laughs> like, um, mm-hmm. So that scene's, you know, really cute and great. Um, yeah. There's, there's a lot of fun variety. I love going from, you know, each each phase of it hiding in humiliation is really smart mm-hmm. um for them to do and as they go through the memories and especially go back into your childhood i think it makes you like clementine even more because at the beginning it's a little questionable like obviously they have this beautiful connection during the cold open but as you start to go through those memories you're like wow you know what? maybe they're better off but then mm-hmm. the more she tries to help him and you realize she's really sweet and she not only cares about Joel, but she's not like she in a way loves unconditionally. Like as we're going through his old memories, she's like, Hey, it's okay. It's okay. I'm right here. You know, mm-hmm. he, yeah, um, have- I had like a specific thing I was going to say. And now I'm just like, I can't remember it, but it, it makes you root for her, I guess. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. They still have, you know, they still have that connection, which mm-hmm. is driving them. Um, I wanted to talk about John Bryan really quick, who did the music um, for this movie. And it fits so well because there's this almost there's a there's an element of like a Danny Elfman mm-hmm. whimsical nature. But there's also urgency. Like there's also like they're trying to get like, you know, to the next part. They're trying to get to the next memory. And so there's like, you know, the, kind of the classical score, like a lot of there's a lot of strings. But there's mm-hmm. also this like indie alternative rock kind of feel to it i don't know it's it's weird but it it meshes well together um and fits again with the music video style that um gondry is um is implementing so it's a good pairing i think it's very especially in that opening um not the like the cold open but later on or like watching joel's face i think as he's driving or something it's very orchestrated like it makes you feel Mm -hmm. like this is a whole production but like you said it does feel kind of like cool and indie so I remember thinking, what is this music? But I like it. Mm-hmm. Oh, and one other person I really want to mention, because I mentioned him up top, is Mr. Charlie Kaufman, who wrote the screenplay mm-hmm. um, and is one of the best screenwriters working today. Did movies like Being John Malkovich, Adaptation, Synecdoche, New York. Most recently, I'm thinking of Ending Things. It's a very specific style in terms of um, playing with the structure mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of playing with your expectations of actors and um, tapping into a lot of human stories that can be either very depressing or also focused on relationships. Um, I think this movie is, I mean, compared to like something like Synecdoche, New York, which is like, if you've never seen it, it's just so depressing, but it's very well done. Um, This is depressing, but it is also hopeful Mm -hmm. at the end. And Mm -hmm. we'll get to that in a second. But like, did you, were you, did the emotions hit harder the second time? Like, were you more, um, 
like the second time, like, were you also still like kind of broken or were you more like, ah, this is, were you more happy because it's such a good movie? Like where, what, how did the emotion affect you differently? Because he plays with emotions so well in each of his scripts, Charlie Kaufman does. Well, I think, I think because I had such a strong emotional reaction to it the first time, I was expecting that the second time and mm-hmm. almost in a way wanting that, but because I wanted that, I almost feel like I prohibited or like, yeah, prohibited it from happening. And also too, because Mm -hmm. I was like taking notes and watching this for these purposes, I didn't actually feel as emotional about it this time. And that kind of shocked me at first. I was a little disheartened because I was like, maybe I don't like this movie as much as I thought I did. Like the first time I was really overwhelmed. And now this time it's like, like even things where I know if that they're going to happen, I still get emotional. I'm like a dramatic mm-hmm. person over here. So I no. was sh- <laughs> no way. Um, so I was shocked that I didn't feel that way. But then I was discussing it a little bit with Seth last night. And then I was like, well, wait, let's not discuss too much because I want this all fresh for tomorrow. But as I was discussing it, I did get a little emotional just talking yeah. about just the whole thing, but talking about, Joel and Clementine and mm-hmm. you know they're they're forced to each other. So TL or TDLR, whatever, what however you say that thing, too long didn't read. Um I felt emotional after speaking about it, but not yeah. actually while so much while watching it. I think at the end when uh Joel says or Clementine says, Hey, like I'm almost gonna I'm gonna be gone soon. Like what do we do? And he says, enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Like that, that line got me a little yeah. <laughs> tight in the chest because mm-hmm. that's such a beautiful line where he realizes, you know what, I've done everything I can. Nothing's changing at this point. This is my last opportunity with her. Instead of mm-hmm. rushing around trying to save her, I'm just going to save her as much as I can. Like, oh my God, I feel my, yeah. <laughs> I feel myself <laughs> now even getting watered up about it because that's so beautiful. Like what I was talking about earlier with my play analysis class I took in, in college, we, we, the reader or the audience have to see that there is some hope that the protagonist will succeed in what they're trying to do in order to feel bad for them when they don't succeed. Like if it's, if it's not, if it's all just stacked against them to begin with and they don't really even try, then it's like, you don't feel bad. But if you get so close to that moment and you think, Oh my God, wait, he's going to do it. He's going to succeed. We're almost there. Like he's got it. And then he doesn't, that's what's devastating. So when he realizes that he didn't do it and he just decides to enjoy the moment while he can, like that's what hits me hard. And I, that's the one spot where I got a little emotional last night watching it. Mm-hmm. It's definitely one of the more um, rewatchable movies of in Charlie Kaufman's category. Um, it's not too overwhelming with the, um, with emotions as like I said, um, I mean, they're obviously there and very palpable. Um, but his other movies connect to key New York is just like, I, I need like three days alone. Like I just can't d- deal with people. Um, but I think it's because again, he balances everything so well. And when he does need moments, like the whole third act of this movie is so like dramatically, um, poignant and it's so hard hitting because of, how important each story beat is. So like, I think it really changes when after we find out like about the title and how, you know, when she reads the eternal sunshine quote, but then she kisses Howard and then Howard's wife comes by and then we find out that, you know, they had this, they've done this Mm -hmm. before and had the procedure. Um, 
that's when you're like, oh, wow. And I got to say, did not see that coming the first time I watched it. I was like, oh, shit. Me neither. Oh, my God. <laughs> but it's a beautiful parallel because yeah. it, it really shows that you can erase somebody from your memory, but not from your heart. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. Um, and, yeah, I love that each character is... Um, you know, searching for love in some ways. And they're all, um, I don't want to say connected, but they are all playing or fighting for the same thing within the story, just in different ways. Yep. Um, and yeah, you, the, the ending of the of the procedure is so great when they go back to the first time they met and you mm-hmm. find out that he does know about Huckleberry Hound and all that. Mm-hmm. And, um, I didn't realize the one thing I did pick up on this uh, last night was when they're going through the house and he's about to leave. And, you know, he says, like, he left or I left. I wish I had stayed, you know, that he actually didn't stay during that memory. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now she's like, you know, so stay this time, you know, and then meet me in Montauk and the house collapses. It's such a great um, ending um, to that part of the story. You to just the, give me chills repeating yeah. that. <laughs> I'm like, Ooh. It's so good. <laughs> um, and then he wakes up and you're like, oh, wait, no, this is the this is the be- that was at the beginning of. The yeah. Movie, you know, you're like, like you're going he's going to Montauk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it, and it makes more sense. And then, uh, but then you see there's a great scene between Kirsten Dunst and Mark Ruffalo where, you know, she's like, did you know? And he's like, I didn't know. I didn't do the procedure. You know, I had like one inkling and of, a, of an idea that you guys might be involved, but then I just kind of forgot about it. But like, I want you to know that I really like you. And, um, you know, it's so cute because it's such schoolboy mm-hmm. kind of, you know, love and romance. It makes and- him redeemable for sure. Yeah, he's, you know, he's, he doesn't, he also doesn't really know how to deal with this. I think everyone in the movie, that's the whole thing. They don't know how to deal with this. So they take something that kind of, they just push it under the rug with this procedure, but know it's going to end up coming back and biting them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, that again plays into the childhood quality of it because like each character in this movie is kind of a child in a way. Like they keep, and not in a way of like immature, but like, you know, they're, they're young, but they're able to keep this, you know, childlike quality to them and again that has a lot to do with the way that Gondry frames them a lot of what Joel wears seems very like schoolboy like like having these mm-hmm. like weird sweaters and the like the yeah the, the the shirt underneath um you know uh Clementine just constantly changing her hair color and just trying to be like as eccentric and like kind of personally driven as possible but uh, you know even you know Kirsten Dunst is trying to like She's just like I was a young, I was just a young girl with a stupid crush. Like even mm-hmm. she's like the younger one, and uh, I and I love that. I didn't really think about how childlike everyone is, and it adds more to the movie because it makes it feel more sweet. Yeah, and exactly that ties into like kind of what I was saying before the goofy nature that lives underneath them. It's like they have this adult like cloak that they wear but underneath they still just want the same things that kids want they want to have fun they want to play they want to play you know like all of our desires in some way come from a want or a need that we had as a kid and Mm -hmm. that's that's a part of us that always lives within us and i feel like a lot of people forget it but in this movie everyone is in touch with that even if they don't realize it absolutely yeah um and I wanted to talk uh, to talk about the ending critically. I wanted to say that I think the performances at the end are fantastic. Like when they find out that they uh, raced each other, I had actually kind of forgotten how they found out. So the fact that Mary takes the leap and sends mm-hmm. them out is a really good story. Uh, um, you know, a good story device or um, oh yeah, a plot device like how she sends out the tapes and like tells everyone about this place. Um, but once they both find out that they had each other a race, like 
Kirsten Dunst and or sorry, um, Kate Winslet and um, Jim Carrey, like they like feel completely broken that they did this. And I, I, I don't even know if it's necessarily, um, you know, like Kate Winslet, like when she like is in her apartment alone and just like breaking down and like tearing things up, like it's like they are destroyed, like about themselves, about the decision that they made, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's not even because they, at this point, you know in their own eyes they've only known each other for a day or like however like a few days or however long it's been whatever um but they feel like they just like it's like the meanest thing that you can do to somebody Mm -hmm. you know just completely take them out of your life in the most like permanent um, way permanent way (laughs) possible besides killing them yeah literally and so it was just like seeing them actually react and like grapple with it. And like, you could see Joel is like kind of broken up and he's like apologizing as they're listening to the tape. And it's, you know, and Kate Winslet has that great line where she's like, it was nice meeting you. Like it was, ah, it's such a great ending and seeing them actually like really affected by the decisions that they made is, is necessary. Right. And it's interesting too, because part of the reason they're so broken up about it is because they don't remember what drove them to feel like they had to do that. So yeah. in their minds, they can't wrap their head around it. Cause it's like, who would do something like that? Well, and it's like, well, you would, because you were so hurt inside. There's a great quote from it. Um, I'm going to say it in, in that hallway scene. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, Joel says on his tape to spend that much time with someone just to find out they're really a stranger. I think that's so interesting because they spent years together and felt that way. And then once they forgot each other and now they're like actually strangers to each other, they have such a connection of, I know you and I'm comfortable with you. It's like, it's two sides of the same coin. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, that is kind of a good, um, encapsulation of, of a theme of the movie mm-hmm. um and you know again it's just so well earned and then at the end when they're like okay like i mean that was an improvised line by carrie and she's like you know we're gonna we're gonna go back and forth we're gonna destroy ourselves and then we'll just get back to and then we'll just be racing each other all over again and he's just like okay like i'll deal with it and you know the stuff yeah. we do for love you know is a big point in this movie but that ending of having them in the hallway and then cutting to that one memory mm-hmm. of them like running and it like repeats itself over when as it um, fades to white yeah as it fades to yeah. white with the beck song is like such a almost haunting ending but it's also yeah. hopeful like it's weird because you're like okay yes they're gonna be together but then they're gonna keep destroying themselves and they're gonna go back and forth and back and forth but that's the nature of their relationship but they're gonna deal with it and just having this image of when they're at their most like when they're ha- at their happiest and just running around in the snow covered sand and just and then it just fades it's so it's, it's beautiful it really yeah. is I, but you'd think too that after realizing that they erased each other from each other's memories it wouldn't be like oh we'll do this again that's just how it is with us it'd be like oh wow i made a mistake and you know what things are going to be hard sometimes but we'll work through it you know <laughs> <laughs> i think that'd be a little bit a little bit better yeah um in terms of like flaws this movie i don't i don't really have anything i think we mentioned the manic pixie dream girl um how that hasn't really aged all that great but is um, it still works within the confines of this story um, because it feels like you're getting, you know, a good sense of control from both of them in terms of how the story is moving. Um, do you have any like any flaws that stuck out to you or anything you didn't like? I can't think of analysis? anything right now. I mm-hmm. 
genuine like I don't want to be somebody like this is perfect like nothing's wrong with it because I think everything could always be improved but I really can't think of anything that I see as a flaw because this is its own universe you know mm-hmm. it like we're not looking at it through the eyes of like I mean I guess in a way we are but we're not looking at it through the eyes of this is something that's happening in our world right now or that could you know this is a specifically deliberate created universe. And we know that because we don't have clinics that erase people from our memories, you know, and the way that Joel travels through the memories is very specific and Mm -hmm. they all flow into each other. And as one memory lights up, the other one is breaking down through like what I was saying before, like in Barnes and Noble, the lights will shut off sort of thing or at Mm -hmm. the house, it crumbles around him. So you know, it's weird, but there's nothing wrong with it because everything was so deliberately chosen. Yeah, it is a very well orchestrated story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's is. Oh, the one other thing I just wanted to point out in Critical Breakdown is my favorite line in the movie. And it is in the scene when Joel is, you know, four years old under the table and cut to him and Clementine in the sink and he's like I love being bathed in the sink like <laughs> the way he says that is so cute but also just like yeah that sounds pretty fucking awesome like yeah, so right? funny I love it oh I think I just in general I like the dialogue before we find out that he's having his memory erased I like the dialogue that has to do with memories like mm-hmm. when they when they meet in the beginning and she's like do I know you and, you know, they're talking, oh, we're going to the same place. I work at Barnes and Noble. And he's like, oh, I, I thought I would have remembered you, you know, just yeah. like <laughs> it's so it's so brilliant. Or or I wouldn't think that about you. And she's like, well, you wouldn't think anything about me because you don't know me. You know, like uh-huh. it's just so yeah. it's so tongue in cheek in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, it's so much better when you see it a second time because then you can. Because then you pick up on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so I think on that note, let's move on to analysis because we got a lot to talk about in terms of meaning and structure. So let's go to analyze this. Cool. I want to stay on that point that you just mentioned because um, I said before, this is a a great example of a circular narrative. And that was the one big thing we talked about when I watched this movie for the first time in film analysis. Um, I had never really thought of the idea of a circular narrative. We talked about it a little bit when we did the, um, a few years ago, we did Inside Lewin Davis on here and that movie is also circular, but I love the idea of a circular narrative. I think it's a really fun um, way to tell a story Mm -hmm. um, that keeps it, linear but also non-linear in a way so you you get the sense like you guys starts with the first the opening 20 minute like thinking it's a prologue but it's Mm -hmm. actually the end of the story Mm -hmm. and then circling back around to it you do get the sense that they are you know what k winslet says they're just constantly going to be going through this they're going to race each other they're going to hate each other they're gonna you know love each other again and they're just going to keep doing that and doing that and doing that um and you know, having the audience feel that too, especially when you watch it again, um, it's it's fun to see like the little um, the little clues throughout of what um, you know what the actual timeline is because they're technically at, well, and the timeline's going forward when he's erasing himself, he's actually going backwards mm-hmm. and then it loops around. So because of that, it does become you know 
almost like a memento style confusing um but it's fun like i think it's 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 clever it's ingenious doing it that way um and yeah it be, by making it but it's also not um repetitive Mm-mm. like it's not it doesn't get stale in right that way you know? i agree i think the structure is so interesting because Usually when you see, like, we're watching the end first and then we're going back and living through it, a lot of times it's, like, some dramatic moment in a movie where it's, like, somebody gets shot or whatever, right? Or Mm -hmm. this is the day I died. And it's just, like, a minute or two. Like, it feels like a split second. And then we go back. And it's, like, oh, this many years later. And then we go through it in order. But that's not what happens here. This is a long opening scene to show us what the ending is going to be like. Yeah. And then when we get back to the beginning, it's still not even the beginning. Like, it's still, and I, I can't even say if it's told like ends to beginning because it's not. Like, when we're kind of going through his decision and how he, he comes to realize that Clementine erased him, and when he decides that he's going to erase her, that's still not even really in mm-hmm. chronological order. Um, yeah. So it's just what. What he did with the structure is so – it really grabs your attention and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, this isn't like anything I've ever seen before. Yeah, it, it is – It you know, and it owes a lot to like, you know, Pulp Fiction and Memento or big in terms of nonlinear storytelling. And, you know, the, in this one especially having – the story like going forwards and backwards and um, at almost at the same time again, by that when the story is actually moving forward, he's going backwards in memory and having the circular stuff. It's the beginning. It's actually the end mm-hmm. and you're confused. It confuses the audience, but again, it is, um, it makes sense for the character in terms of the character's mindset. Um, and yeah, I mean, again, that it, it is about the things we do for love because Jim Carrey says that uh, Joel says at the end, he's just like, okay, like I'll do it. Like I will go through it. Like I, I will mm-hmm. do this if it means I can, I can be with you. Um, and you know, it, it, you are in the end, you're like, oh yes, great. They're together. But it is also like, oh man, they're going to have to constantly go through this. It feels bittersweet. Uh, it is bittersweet. It is like, again, it, it is depressing. Cause like you almost want them to find better people. Cause like this whole movie is kind of like, you know, they're, they're not great for each other, no. <laughs> but uh, they are uh, they are connected whether they like it or not. And they kind of are just following that. And, um, you know, they end up being happy either way. I this movie makes me wonder, like technically the order in which they filmed this, because Kate Winslet changes her hair three times. So I'm like, they must have started with the scenes where her hair is like visibly red and then, you know, let it fade as the the movie making process went along and then dyed it blue. You know, like, mm-hmm. I feel like for the actors, they probably more so lived it in real time because that would make sense for filming it. And yeah. then, you know, you see the movie and it's like, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, I think the other thing, too, is that we mentioned that this procedure is not only like not a good idea, you shouldn't <laughs> do it. Um, but it doesn't work. Right. Like it's a failed procedure. Mm-hmm. You end up coming back to the memories regardless. That was a big thing that I wrote about mm-hmm. when I wrote my paper yep. for this movie was all about memories. Um, and it's not my main takeaway anymore, but it is like, you know, what sticks with you, what you choose to remember, um, what memories stand out, what is ultimately the memory that is affecting you and making your decision. Um, 
you know, and so Joel is acting on, you know, strong current memories of just having him erase, but is not taking into account everything else that happened previously. And you should be able to have these things, you know, you should have to feel through, you should make your way through the pain to come out better on the other side. And I think that could be another, you know, way of reading this movie is that like, they kind of did this all wrong and they shouldn't be, um, Mm -hmm. going back to each other. Um, I think it depends on what you, I don't think if you look at it that way, it makes the movie a fault or it makes it bad or not work. Um, it, it's just, it, it just depends on how you read it, but you know, there's a lot of, you know, they shouldn't be doing this or they have to feel through their stuff, but they feel through it together. So it's like, okay, but <clears throat> they're still ending up in the same place. So they're not really growing, but I don't know. I think it still works. I just think there's a lot of different ways to read the ending. Well, also too, I feel like, this is a good lesson to people that, you know, our our emotions live in our body through experiences, not through mm-hmm. memories. So like we were kind of discussing before, they erase the memory, but the pain's still there and they just don't yeah. know where it came from because <clears throat> that's something that you physically have to like make a decision to let go of and work through. But sure, you can erase the memory. And then if you think about it, it's not bringing that emotion up. But that emotion, that lived experience is still stuck inside your body. And your body right. now just doesn't have a reason for why it feels that way. It doesn't understand why it's scared or hurt because all of the memories that were there to explain it to you are gone, which I mm-hmm. feel like could almost be more terrifying. I mean, yes, of course, people who have experienced traumatic things and lived through PTSD, reliving that memory is awful. Um, but at the same time, I personally, like when I have thoughts that come into my head that don't really sit well with me, at least I have like a reason for why I'm feeling the way I am, you know, instead of mm-hmm. it just being this big unknown. So right. that it really doesn't fix their problem. And we see that, but even before we see that you could, you could conceptualize that this is not going to fix their problem. <laughs> right. Well, it also has a good, you know, message about your memories with other people and mm-hmm. how you form, well, just how you form bonds is like, you know, they they meet through Carrie and Rob. They, um, you know, it's not just they come upon each other as they do in the beginning of the movie. It's actually they met through mutual friends mm-hmm. um, and how those relationships are important, are, are important, even though that, you know, their love is kind of crumbling, too. Um, I, and I do think that overall it is a love story. Like it mm-hmm. is a movie about, um, you know, chasing after somebody and trying to. Um, and Charlie Kaufman kind of has this theme recurring throughout most of his work is that trying so desperately hard to capture a certain emotion Mm -hmm. or a certain experience in the human condition that you will literally do anything Mm -hmm. to, to get it. And, you know, these, these characters, they almost torture themselves trying to get that. They, this is, I mean, like, like Howard says, well, you know, it is brain damage. Like, yeah. <laughs> literally just scrambling your mind to <laughs> to get to where, which is, you know, something that is kind of metaphorical for your actual, the your thought process when you're in love or you're acting on impulse through um, just based on love and based on relationships. You're not doing things in the most clear state of mind. You're right. not, um, it's not, they're not always the most sound decisions. They're very like, this is a, it's a, current solution or it's a it's like a solution to just a current problem you it's know, a band-aid it. it's a band-aid i can fix it right now and i don't have to think about it for a while yeah it's gonna come back <laughs> you just totally spoke to my soul there because it is desperate it is like mm-hmm. what we watch joel do is his last last desperate attempt at holding on 
to the memories that are most dear to him. And that's mm-hmm. beautiful. I could cry right now. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The one thing I also didn't realize, I kind of forgot about, is that we don't he mentions this this girl's previous relationship with this girl named Naomi, who we don't meet in nope. the movie. So and and I'm not saying we need to meet or we need this backstory because we definitely don't, but it's interesting because that must have been a very important part of his life too. But mm-hmm. we don't see that. That's not and that's not the focus of the movie. And that's fine. But you're just it like kind of leaves this mystery in your head, this curiosity, like what happened between them? What was going on there? And right. What led them to uh, I think, yeah, what led them to uh, to Clem uh, What led them together. So it's a it is a cool little like small nugget in this story that doesn't need to be explained. But it is this like, oh, were they like he just says they were just like living together. Um, but were they just roommates? Was there something else going on? There had to, obviously had to be something else going on. I think the purpose of including her is just to show that these are whole people. So mm-hmm. it's not just like a, sometimes I watch a movie and I'm like, this is just a story, like, but this doesn't really happen, you know? Mm-hmm. But even though this is a fantasy world, I can still see this happening because the characters are so well thought out. Like I, I feel like Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet must have done pages and pages of character work because yeah. it really gives like by mentioning Naomi, it gives you the essence of, okay, there was a before there's a before and after to this chunk of the story that we are seeing. Like they both have lived entire lives up until the point where they met. And now this is their part of their lives together. And from where we end the movie, it's going to go forward. This isn't yeah. just like one complete chunk there like i said there was a past and there was a future and that's what makes it so good is you can sense all of that within them right yeah absolutely and you know it's the same with um with howard and mary Mm -hmm. you know they have the past and and howard is doing this because you know his marriage is obviously pretty faulty um but you also get the sense that stan you know mark ruffalo's character is like head over heels for mary again mm-hmm. in this total schoolboy like childlike it's way <laughs> it's very cute i love it he's just because he's just like i like you i really like you like such an elementary school so way wholesome. to tell someone that you're you're into them mm-hmm. um but yeah you do get the sense that these people have had these feelings for a long time mm-hmm. and that's why i think patrick is the outlier in the best ways because all of his feelings are so they're new. I just met this girl two weeks ago and, you know, that's and I it. love her. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the it's like the honeymoon, like puppy love, like new romance budding for him, whereas everyone else's is like really um, grounded. Mm hmm. Yeah. And again, they just don't work well together. No. Nope. What a terrible relationship. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, that makes it even like better when you see Joel's journey, because it's like maybe they're not perfect for each other, but. At least he's better than Patrick for Clementine, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. No, it's good. I'm not saying it's it's a fault in the story. Like, it is. Right. No, agreed. It, it is good. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we've gotten to the end. It's time to answer the question. Chelsea, why do you love Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and how does it add to your um, love of movies? Well, oh, that's a good question. I love this movie because it's just such a beautiful display of what people will do for love. And that sounds interesting because they actually erased each other from each other's memories because they were so angry at each other, but specifically Mm -hmm. watching Joel go through all of his memories and just 
rediscover his love for Clementine through the good memories. And like I've said many times already throughout the podcast, just do whatever you can to hold on to her. I think it just, it makes you feel good. I don't know if I have like anything yeah. like wise or insightful to say about it. I think we've covered all of that. And now I just feel like um, a broken record in a way, but these, all these characters are so real and I think that's what makes the love story so beautiful is we see the goofiness underneath the, the mask that they show the world and under the pain that they have experienced. And every single character in this movie is funny, is thought provoking, is deeply emotional, is grounded and knows what the fuck they're doing. Like they did their homework in this movie. So um, from an emotional standpoint, it just makes you, it's very cathartic, but mm-hmm. from like an intellectual or a technical standpoint, you can just really admire all the work that went into this movie and how, um, specific everything in that movie really is. It's just when you, if you bring up any aspect of any movie or TV show, it, it just checks off all of the boxes. It's not like, oh, the actors were really good, but like the story wasn't that great. That's not the case here. Mm-hmm. Everything about it is just, like I said, checked off. Like, yes, actors, right. great. Story, great. Cinematography, great. Like world universe building, great. Everything. Mm-hmm. It just is something that you need to see, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard to have a movie that's heartbreaking, but also... Uplifting. Extremely entertaining. Yeah. yeah. Uplifting, but like one that you can go back to. Uh, I think that's a very rare feat to pull off. Um, and, you know, I, I think we, I wanted, you know, just get a little, a little more analytical really quick, which is with the title. I think the title is just awesome. It's just, it has, it just sounds cool. And also, I mean, it has the meaning from the Alexander the Pope yeah. poem. Uh, you know, and, and it does just describe this, like, you know, ignorance is bliss kind of idea being completely happy um, with every memory taken, every painful memory taken out of your mind. Mm -hmm. And it is, you know, this idea of just, I'll only, I'll only like, you know, believe what I want to believe or see what I want to see and not actually experiencing what you, what you need to. Um, Right. And, you know, I love when a movie can have this kind of um, allegorical nature to it. And this is a movie that like kind of solidified for me what kind of movies that I want to make and what, you know, mm-hmm. really turned me, turned my brain on in terms of how to analyze movies or, you know, a good way to view movies. Because, again, the, the my first viewing of this class of this movie was in a class. It was in like December. It was snowy outside. It was cold. It was, you know, the perfect setting for it was at night. It was mm-hmm. like the perfect setting to watch this movie. Um, and it really, you know, taught me a lot about viewing movies from a story perspective and, you know, thinking about the big takeaway and, um, the, again, the allegorical nature, what are we supposed to learn from this movie? And there's a lot to learn from this Mm -hmm. movie. There's a lot to find. There's a lot to take away. Um, and you know, it uh, it holds a special place in my heart for that exact Mm -hmm. reason. It's, it's very sentimental. I mean, the movie itself is sentimental, um, but and, and I, I like that. I, I also, it just feels honest. Like yeah. everything that happens and it feels um, like it is a specific vision from an artist and it um, is fitting for the story that is around that um, 
you know, the, the artistic qualities around the story, like are, they fit well together. Yes. Um, and I always love seeing that. So this is one that I will definitely be returning to again. Uh, you know, I've watched it once a year now since I've seen it. I've seen it several times and it's, it's so great to revisit. It makes me very happy. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Chelsea. Thank you for having me. Of course. That does it for this episode of Frankly, I Love Movies. Huge thanks to Chelsea Bowles for coming on. I've been wanting to talk about Eternal Sunshine for a while, and she was the perfect guest to do it with. Um, If you want more Frankly, I Love Movies content, you can check us out on social media, on Facebook, Frankly, I Love Movies, on Twitter and Instagram at um, Frankly Podcast. And you can also check out all our social medias for our upcoming short film, Don't Be a Stranger. Follow us at Don't Be a Stranger Film and check out our um, website at Don't Be a Stranger Movie.com. Uh, in two weeks, we're going to have one of our actors, Andrew Ajaka, on to talk about Rango. We were supposed to have that um, on this week. I know I said that at the end of the last episode, but scheduling just got all messed around. So Andrew will be on in two weeks to talk about Rango. We're very excited about that. And until then, I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. <laughs>